this uh, week on this episode, it, we are looking at a film picked by Kim. And Kim, you've decided to go with Takashi Miike's 2019 release, First Love. A director who I don't think we will ever, ever, ever cover on this show, mainly because the fact he has over 100 credits to his name as a director and is probably one of the most prolific directors in Asian cinema. Even now, he's uh, still absolutely churning out work, but at his height, he was working on eight movies a year. Something that really puts his Western counterparts to absolute shame. At the same time, he's also one of the key directors of the revitalization of interest in the Asian cinema with his movie Audition, which, along with Battle Royale and Ring, really sparked that revival of uh, interest and made people wonder what else they've been missing, which has only really continued as... uh, from that point on as we've moved on from J-horror and extreme Asian cinema into just exploring pretty much any other format that can come out of uh, Asia with Mike continuously remaining a firm favourite, not only with the cult cinema fans but also with more um, mainstream critics as well. With 2019's First Love he continues his move into being a more mainstream filmmaker that we saw first of all with 13 assassins having left the outlaw period behind with what many would consider uh the cutoff point being his episode of uh, master of horror imprint which had the distinguished uh, honor of being banned during its initial run only released all the episodes on the box set um the story itself though is despite what the title may uh, have you indicate is not quite a love story as such and Mike himself admits that he chose to call the film First Love because it would make money. Uh, the film though follows a boxer who believes he's been diagnosed with a terminal brain tumour at the same time he through a series of uh, coincidental meetings ends up being the defender and going on the run with a call girl and heroin addict who the local Yakuza, I believe, has uh, also made off with a bag full of drugs and so leads into one crazy night as various parties attempt to get the drugs back, including a one-armed triad welding a shotgun, a femme fatale with uh, unrelenting uh, determination to get her own way, and also a corrupt cop, just to name a few of the unique characters who pop up in this film. Now, Kim, Shimike, are you a fan or is he someone who's sort of like dipping in and out of? I definitely would dip in and out of it. I mean, I haven't, you know, over a hundred movies. I think I've seen like <laughs> four. So <laughs> I'm definitely like far behind in, in, in his movies. And the movies I've seen of his has really been, you yeah. know, hit and miss. More hits than miss for me so far because I think it was the movie before First Love that came out was uh, La Place's Witch which was a absolute snore fest. <laughs> I watched that at Fantasia Festival. I think it was one of like the most boring movies I watched yeah. at the festival ever. And it was like at like this 10 p.m. slot. So it was like after a it was it was a pretty much I had like a double feature snore fest. So I didn't I wasn't having a good night. But yeah, no, I mean, First Love is a complete opposite from, you know, like the last movie I saw of his to this one. It's it's really, you know, like turned turned up to like crazy you know this is like i love these one night things which which go super fast pace and really just you know uh has so much like 
their plot really is like kind of like um something deeper and then there's like someone making a plan and then things go bad and then there's all these quirky characters and it seems very like Takashi Miike yeah. when he does that so yeah I mean when it comes to Miike I mean he's one of those directors who isn't that very sort of rare group along with like the likes of Quentin Tarantino Oliver Stone Spielberg Kubrick where he can basically just do what he wants and I think when it comes to his work especially i think a lot of people because he spent so much time making these like extreme asian cinema films that anything now that he basically wants to put across that he does have sort of free reign to do and while he certainly seems to have mellowed in his sort of later years um perhaps because he ran out of things to shock and offend us with during the outlaw period uh when you certainly look at films such as you know like dead or alive and each year the killer and some of the things that he was absolutely shocking western audiences with and at the same time he was doing more sort of like subtle and almost like art house things with things like audition um and then he obviously goes on and makes films like 13 assassins which is like one of the most fantastic samurai movies of recent years and he's just a director you never know what you're going to get until you actually start up one of his films and i think with this film, it's probably one of his more accessible films. There's nothing overly weird. There's a lot of outlandish characters, but certainly the terms of the plotting, um, it's all pretty straightforward here. And might as well just start with obviously our two leads here. I mean, do we even like dare to call them sort of like a love interest? Because the connection that they have doesn't really seem well, like a romantic one as such. You know, if you look really hard <laughs> yeah. at the last scene. They like they enter the apartment from afar and then they kiss at the door. So they are like a love. Like they do end up being in love, and it's because and I I would believe that it's each of their first love. Obviously, you know because the other one like the girl has you know her own story about this boy, but it's not so much a love story as you know as we start seeing that it's it's a little bit. It's, it's a little bit more than that. Okay. Um, well, obviously, we have Leo, who's a, who's a boxer. He's there, played by uh, Masataka uh, Kubota. And he's really just this embodiment, you know, of the traditional cinematic boxer. I mean, he's boxing against the great sadness in his life. So his only way to sort of fight the pain is by you know, putting himself in the ring and just beating the hell out of his opponents. And it's really during his last match where he sort of uh, suffers what appears to be like a seizure he um, gets gets knocked down and goes to have it checked out and discovers that he's got a brain tumor that's really gonna kill him and in turn while this obviously fills him with like sadness at the same time it makes him fills him with this like uh, ability to not fear death he no longer fears uh, fears it, which yeah. comes in quite handy, especially when he runs into Monica here, played by uh, Sakurato Konishi. And she herself has got her own sort of problems in life. She was abandoned by her father and basically <laughs> sold off to the local Yakuza as a call girl to pay off his gambling debts. Um, in turn, she's been hooked on heroin and spends, you know, the good... The first 40 minutes of this film... Nobody is having a good time, especially with these two characters, where they're basically being beaten up by 
their problems or by by yakuza it doesn't seem to be a fun time for anyone and especially with monica i mean she's so hooked on Helwyn. uh she's pretty much in a complete world of her own and it's really just this sort of chance encounter while she's on a assignment or a date i don't know what the way to to call a call girl um appointment but um she's basically been sent out with this uh crooked cop who Leo believes is uh, someone who's a rassiner and manages to knock um, knock, it, knock him out. Um, into, basically sending these two on the run. And at the same time, we should also note the fact that when Monica does her win, she tends to have visions of her father, who in typical Mike style um, appears in his tidy whities and glasses and basically just spends a lot of time chasing Monica around the film. So when we obviously look at these, these corrupt villainous figures in our life i mean it's kind of hard to actually hate anyone they're not particularly scummy and they're not particularly the most villainous because i think everyone's pretty much on the same sort of level when it comes to the being sort of like uh when you can sort of rank up who's more evil than everyone else there's no sort of like overwhelming big bad of this it's just a group of uh bad guys that happen to have their passes crossed and in true bad guy fashion when you have rival bad guys cross it ends in bloody violence so I wouldn't say that exactly. I mean, all of this was like this elaborate plan that just Mm. kind of went awry, right? I mean, that really just was a stupid person who didn't know what he was doing. And then it just got really like, it just went way over his head. And I mean, when you talk about, you know, Leo and Monica before, I, I really think, you know, they're kind of like... The opposite of everyone because they're kind of like innocence and and i think in in the beginning leo is not really not it's not really that he fears death so much as that he's more of a character in the beginning that you know when his his conversation with his coach when he wins is one of the is probably like the part where you realize that he doesn't really have any passion for life like he's not living his life he's just kind of like dead dead inside and and you know i think getting that news of the tumor was more of a shock because it kind of like suddenly made him think about living, you know, what it is to live and what it is to uh, fight for something that he cares about, I guess. And in this case, you know, it just happened that he got annoyed and punched a cop (laughs) to defend Monica and then he gets dragged into this crazy mess, which, I mean, it's, it's funny because he never really knows what's going on until, you know, they all get kidnapped into this car um, with, you know, the people who were first, in, first like, putting together this plan. And that, you know, obviously that was the corrupt cop and, and one of the one of the Yakuza underlings that seemed to, uh, Kase, I think his name is, that wants to, you know, kind of uh, rise up in, in the thing and kind of, and, and, like, just do this whole thing where he takes drugs and earns some money out of it by, by, by releasing it through the cop. And, you know, it, it's... It's more of the fact that this movie has just... I think it's really... What's entertaining about First Love is that... It's like you said. The story itself is pretty straightforward. In the sense that, you know, it's a it's a Yakuza who wants to double cross. And then the plans go awry. And then, you know, civilians get caught in the mix. And then things just go crazy. And then it's just a fast, fast-paced thing. Obviously, leading up to it, it's a bit more like padding up the story... Of, you know, who's going to show up. Because there is an incredible amount of characters for this hour and 45 that we're going through. And it kind of, like, ends up making our two leads become rather small. Because 
because, you know, all these other villainous characters kind of overlap them and they have such bigger personalities than those two who, honestly, you know, other than Monica's little hallucinations, which are, are you know, get pretty funny after a while. Um, it's it's really like, it's really like the this whole Yakuza and Triad fight that that's what it builds up to in the end. And that, that's when, you know, like the th- last 30 minutes is where, you know, you... It's not a chase scene anymore. It's more of a really action fighting, you know, all kinds of weapons, you know, just all out. Oh, definitely. Scene. It's really, I think this is, the, this is the thing. The first 30 minutes or so is a bit of a, a slow burn. And then we get into the last, the last part of the, uh, the film, basically when, when the pair go on the run. And as I said there, through circumstances, they're tied up with a punk accuser and a corrupt cop. And they're basically the four of them find themselves caught in the midst of this gang war that's uh, been been sparked because we've got the local triads are trying to move in on the Yakuza turf, and at the same time we got the yeah. old Yakuza boss there. Yeah, but you know, Kase kind of Kase kind of did it on himself. You know, he was the one who was like, "Oh, you know, he's gonna go and blame it on the Chinese because he wants to kind of like not let people yeah. look at him so much, right?" So you know, it, it's. You know, he, he was the one who sparked this drug war, and then in the end, it just kind of goes really out of hand for him because, you know, he, he ends up, you know, he ends up with accidentally killing a bunch of people and then accidentally getting really oh, the, high. Yes, because, I mean, true <laughs> Mickey fashion, then, his solution to treat a bullet wound is to rub heroin in it, which I have no idea that how that works, <laughs> but it's like... But it's, it's because it's, it gets into your bloodstream. I watched another movie. I watched another movie recently okay. that did the same thing, and that's why I was like, I, 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 I was so like, wow, this is why is this happening so quick? And I can't yeah. remember what that movie is anymore. Uh, but I mean, I remembered it, and and the concept behind it was that it was because it went into your blood, <laughs> bloodstream, so it kind of like got him really high and got him like really like I don't know his true nature came out where he didn't care anymore whether he killed anybody. To him, he was just it was kind of like he became kind of dead inside after a while. It often surprised me is the things we learn about drugs in movies. I mean, nobody knew that you could snort heroin until Pulp Fiction came out. Um, <laughs> and I remember people like going, oh yeah, she, the overdose scene is because she snorted heroin and you're supposed to inject heroin. It's like, no, you can't actually snort this as any good drug counsellor will tell you. Um, and I, as I said, it amuses me the things that we do learn from movies like this. So, But it's, it's so bizarre when we actually get into this whole sort of chase sequence because it seems that Mika constantly keeps pulling these more outlandish characters out of the bag. Yeah. We've got a triad hit woman who's introduced basically lying on a sofa with a newspaper over her face and then it's sort of like, oh, we've got a job for you to do and she just wakes up and goes at it. Like, she's just been lying around waiting for she's, this. She's the girl that started out in the beginning at the at the, at the the Chinese restaurant. It, it's, it, it all connects together because you never knew that the drunk girl at the Chinese restaurant turns out to be her and she's part of the triad you see i completely missed that when i saw her being introduced i just thought she was like yeah just because around waiting for a job to come along so no because because after that when he's when she sees uh leo she's like he's she's like oh p then and that's like because he was doing that job of like peeling those century eggs yeah and he that's why it was like the whole connection is that you know she's that girl and and they they all like it all links together that she's kind of this like femme fatale <laughs> assassin type of deal and then we got uh 
the other obviously the other kick-ass female we got here is uh julie played by <laughs> becky <laughs> which... i have to say she is one of my favorite characters because she's just so out there like every scene you know as she builds up to her crazy it's just like <laughs> it's just so like incredible like it, it's just like she comes out barefoot with a crowbar or she just jumps out a window she's like crazy and yeah. it's and crazy in such an entertaining way Oh, definitely so, and I just love the scene where when she like first turns up with a crowbar, because she's got this deranged look on her face, and then yeah. she starts like attacking the car with the crowbar, and then she's just like on the front of the, <laughs> the front yeah. of the car, and they're like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> we're moving crazy, but we're not this crazy, and it's just the just the flow of these uh this sort of chasing. We go in from from that scene, and we got like uh we then go into like um. We end up at like the department store where, and uh, we have like the the garage fight and the fact that Mike in is in in the way that only Mike can decides to randomly throw in an animated sequence for one scene as well. Um, I know. <laughs> it's like there's very. I think it, this again is the advantage of of Mike being Mike is the fact that he can just throw this randomness at the screen and just basically get away with it, but. At the same time, he's here, at least it feels like he's trying to talk to his audience and just basically going off on one of his weird tangents. As here, he really constructs some interesting sort of action sequences. Um, yeah. I mean, we've mentioned already, we've got the one-armed triad who's got a shotgun, which is just really cool to see. We've got swords fighting, we've got gunplay. As basically, you our two leads are, are hiding out in this department store, waiting for the triads and Yakuza to wipe each other out so they can make their escape, and I think, I mean, when we have the, when they actually do make the escape, it, we do unfortunately end on this sort of like 10, 10 minutes or so, which just kind of sucky as it feels that we have this perfect ending where, you know, you know, spoiler, they escape and the Yakuza bosses are driving off into the sunset with this. Basically every cop in the city, it seems, chasing after him as we had that wonderful shot of like, yeah. Uh, the bridge and him driving off into yeah, the that, sunset. Yeah, that, that overhead shot. Yeah, that, that was really, really nice. Um, and for myself, they, they was, that was like the perfect ending. And he's there obviously lamenting, you know, can someone who's wicked truly like lament for their evil deeds? And it's, you know, it's all very sort of poetic, but unfortunately we have this 10 minutes or so at the end, which just really drags and just really took me out of the film when I was like so into the film and just in, in wrapped up in the moment and i don't have too big of a problem with it i think that it, it it was meant to kind of like maybe give that first love title a little bit more justice yeah. by giving these two a little bit more time and just showing that you know they're gonna go back into their normal lives and find their normalcy obviously because you know now we come back and it's it's a bit of a parallel to the beginning because you know you see leo we, we zoom back into Leo's life as a boxer. And now he's training with a lot more, you know, vigor, a lot more enthusiasm, yeah. um, a lot more desire to win. And, and you see that difference. And where Monica at the same time, she's not, you know, she's really trying to fight her drug addiction. And, and she's, you know, she finally gets, gets to, you know, uh, go home and, you know, and they end up being together. So in some ways, it's, it's not a bad ending. I think that, you know, the ending you know the ending ending shot where you know they're at home and they're going back in and then there's like that far away shot just watching them get inside and then they kiss at the door and then the door closes and then you're just kind of like well that's a really good ending that's really sweet 
Because, you know, you went through all this crazy stuff, and these two is really, like, most of the time, they're just running, and then they're in the background. And then they just get, like, and then it's just, like, an exchange of, who are you? What am I doing? It's not her. She didn't do this, you know? It was kind of, like, this weird conversation where they don't know what's really going on, but then everybody thinks they know what's going on sort of thing. Yeah. Um... So in the end, it's kind of like, you know, it just mellows out where you give Monica the chance to kind of like, you know, meet this. Uh, also, you know, run into the boy that she keeps talking about, which Leo thinks she likes. But, you know, the story obviously is different because um, I think at some point she does talk about that. You know, it's really that he helped her through something. That's why in her mind, she's always he's always in her mind. Yeah. But it's not like really like a love interest. So it's kind of like everything kind of like settles and everything kind of has this ending. But whether, you know, people like this whole ending where it's like, you know, tied tied up and just, you know, you know, with a bow tie, right? Wrapped with a bow tie. And, you know, like, does it is it really, do we really need to do this, right? I, I do agree that, you know, if, if it was just a Yakuza boss driving away, I would have been fine with that also. But you just need to have some sort of some sort of wrap up really just to know that if we're leaving these characters then they're going to be okay because yeah I think that that's a thing because if it's just the boss that runs away then all he did was leave these two sitting on like the you know hiding in a bush right (laughs) how do you bring it back to them right unless they did like that and then they did a backtrack to the boss but like how would you have done that and 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 you can't just be like oh i'm just gonna ditch my two leads and just leave them sitting in a bush somewhere running off kind of thing right i mean you could add a little bit there yeah certainly i mean just i'm not trying to think now how you could obviously end it i mean you just have have something you know give it a fight club ending to say you met me at a very strange time in my life or why don't we go and get some coffee or something and then you just had them wander off this 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 one crazy night because we've obviously gone from the crazy night into the morning now and everything sort of worked itself out even though it's perhaps not in the most conventional way. I mean, we've got multiple characters who are dead or dying or <laughs> being killed by police or so essentially these anyone who has potentially stood in the way of these characters. Um, sort of having getting back to some sort of normal life is now been removed from from the picture by one force or the other so right um we essentially have given them a clean state to start over and unfortunately in this case mika decides that you know we've got to reassure the audience that everything worked out all right and then we can't just like leave it as the to the audience to interpret how they wanted I honestly think it was just to give a little bit of justice to the name, like the t- title that he chose. Like, sure, it's supposed to, you know, give you that, you know, it's supposed to be like a, supposed to, you know, w- get the big bucks and attract people to go see it. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're watching a movie where there has nothing to do with your first love, then it becomes kind of like people are going to come out, come out of this and be like, well, that was false advertising, you know? What was that title? You know, people can still argue about that all day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then again, I just I wonder like people going to see a Mika movie where they actually questioned things such as the title. I would say so. I mean, the like yeah, he's like he's very outlandish. There's a lot of like weird stuff, like weird content that he likes to adapt. Yeah. But 
still, you know, I mean, you wonder why it's called first love, other than the fact that, you know, you can cash in some big bucks airing it on Valentine's Day, right? Well, this uh, this was the uh, this was the thing. It was it had a single night showing on Valentine's Day. If you were lucky enough to live near a cinema that showed it, you could go and take your your date or your significant other or whoever you're having a relationship with um, to go and see a, a MEK movie on Valentine's Day, which, let's face it, is going to be a more enjoyable time than if you go and see the rom-com. Um, I think it's going to give you a lot more to talk about than, you know, if you see whatever Catherine Hegel or... <laughs> There's no more Catherine Hegel rom-coms. Isn't there? I don't know. I don't watch rom-coms. I don't think so. No, 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 no. I haven't, I haven't seen Catherine Hegel in anything now, but... Well, uh, she did it to herself when when you when you start bad mouthing the one good movie you made uh, with Knocked Up and people's people and start making like diva demands all the time. I think it's uh, doesn't exactly warm you to people. So mm. it's kind of like when uh, Demi Moore uh, was doing like with its strip tease and stuff, and she was doing the reputation of Gimme Moore. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, going back to, to our, 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 mm. our thing about, you know, watching movies on Valentine's Day. I mean, first love is a good medium, right? You either go, you know, if you really want to go with a girl, a lot of people would go for the rom-coms. If not, big things in, in Valentine's Day is what either you watch a rom-com or you watch a horror movie. You know, this one's a bloody Valentine's Day, you know? Like, there's a lot of action, fast pace, kind of meets in the middle. I would I would say go to it's a take... fun movie. It's a fun movie, and I think I think that's all you need to th- think think about is that Mike made a really fun movie. Yeah, you make it you say it like that, and you're surprised that Mike made a, a fun movie. And well, I, I've only seen five. Yeah, movies. okay. And the previous movie I've seen of his, like I've mostly watched. I watched what audition. Yeah, which was really weird horror, and then I watched um, obviously extremes. I watched box. Oh yes, yeah, the three extremes. Three yeah. extremes, yeah. And then uh, I watched—I don't remember what I watched in between. But then I watched *La Places Witch*, which was a snore fest. Yeah. <laughs> so excuse me for feeling a little bit, you know, excited about this one, which I was getting a little skeptical about. <laughs> I f- I forget really because obviously we've, you know, for my own personal movie watching background and stuff, I've been like following me since like audition came out. And I think the problem with auditioning now is the fact that every scariest movie list has ruined the ending and mm. when you, the auditions are filmed best to watch blind because it lures you in with this like false yeah. sense of what you're going to get and then it suddenly like pulls a rug out from uh, beneath you in that sort of final act is like oh this isn't good <laughs> um, and uh i think this is something that they're really quite from we, we what got Mike that sort of like initial attention and we all started like and saw like every distributor like rushing to bring across every other sort of thing he was doing that period and you had things like uh the dead or alive trilogy and which is the first one in particular has one of the most graphic five minutes of cinema you ever see it's absolutely <laughs> insane and you as i said with like uh Ishii the Ishii the killer is stupidly violent as well and we'll perhaps talk about that on another day but that's not a romantic movie at all. And then at the same time, he would do things like Bad People in China or Rainy Dog. Or he more recently, he's done things such as like For Love's Sake, which is like a um, a romantic comedy musical. And he did like the adaptation of um, Ace Attorney. Yeah. Which he's is... Done a few, he's done a few like anime and video game adaptations and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So, you know, he, did... he's, he definitely has like a lot of stuff. Like La Place's Witch was also a... 
I think it was a novel or graphic novel or anime or or, or, or a manga adaptation or something like that. I never read it, but I, I, I think what I did research, that's what it was. It was some kind of adaptation. I just want to say one thing, really, in terms of, like, the action. Did you find it kind of refreshing to see, like, action scenes which weren't just, like, absolute frenzy of people, like, rushing each other with knives and knees and just having this sort of, like, uh, raid-style violence that we've seen carried across into films, you know, like John Wick, where it's just, like, these intense action scenes where people were just like brutalizing each other yeah like this one this one really dials it down like like it in a sense it's it's most of the time it's two people fighting Mm. and i think the max it had was like four um but it's very like it's very like you know one person one v one a lot of times and it's very like you know like structured around kind of like a boxing match i guess so you have people fighting the same thing, you know, you have the boss fighting against one thing and then you have that that assassin versus, you know, the the, the cop or something like that. And yeah. then you have, you know, um, you know, obviously it's it's, you know, it's one person hit something and then maybe something else will happen and that person will attack the other person. And that kind of, it's kind of like a very, um, I don't know, uh, a flowing action. OK, so I mean, does this inspire you to go and watch more Mike? I think it's the most important question of the day, really. Because, I mean, you've obviously had a little oh, bit yeah, of that I, sort of taste here, so. Well, no, I have to, you know, Mickey movies are not easy to find. But, I mean, obviously, um, I've seen that, you know, I obviously have Shudder now. And yeah. I see that Ichi the Killer is there. And I'm thinking about watching that one next. Um and, and, you know, slowly, I, I've always been interested. Like, I try to, you know, like, obviously the effort was there when I wanted to go see La Place's Witch, and that just kind of blew up in my face. But, um, you know, I, I try to see more. I mean, I'm really trying to uh, get a chance to watch Ace Attorney since I heard it's really good, and I'm a big mm. fan of the video games. So that's that's one of the ones that I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching and it's always been on like my watch list I just never got around to watching it yeah it's fun it's um it's a very sort of straightforward adaptation of the the video games and it's fun when you have like the courtroom sequences and you have like verdict flash across in like big letters like in the video games so <laughs> um it's fun in that respect in the fact that they he adapts like cases from like the first game I think it is so yeah it's uh, definitely good in in that respect. Um, one I would yeah. recommend that you check out, and I think it's on Shudder as well, and that would be The Happiness of the Katamaris. It's okay. um, kind of like Sound of Music, but with zombies. Um, as this ah, family okay. set up a guest house, and all the guests die, so they go and bury them in the woods only for them to come back as zombies. But it's uh, got musical numbers in it, and it's kind of bonkers. But it's you know it's not, it's not too heavy at the same time. Okay, well, I mean, after watching you know Anna and the Apocalypse, I'm all for like zombies and musicals right now. So I'm, I'm definitely okay with that. Yeah. No, I mean I have a few on my list. Like I think Thirteen Assassins might have been on there. I can't remember. And then maybe yeah. Blade of the Immortal I saw somewhere also. I'm, I'm sure like it's it, it's all over the place. There's it's just you know the effort to go find it in our. In our crazy roster of movies that happen to be sitting around, right? And I know what you mean, and certainly when it comes to Mika, I mean, there's no... You're just because... 
it's very hard to say, like, uh, because he makes so many movies, it's hard to even to say, like, oh, this was his good period of filmmaking because he is very... He can do produce absolutely fantastic work, and at the same time, he can produce really weird work, and at the same, and uh, that he can just produce so like really kind of tedious work. So, you kind of, you the good thing about letterbox and stuff is the fact that at least you get an idea of what you're getting into, or just like what the good ones to hunt down are. I mean, Sukiyaki Western Django is a fun take on the Eastern Western, and features Quentin Tarantino in a interesting cameo role. Mm. Um, I mean, he did. Um, see, he, he did Yataman, which is a um, Tetsuburo adaptation. He's a superhero uh, movie, which is pretty fun. Thirteen Assassins is uh, is really fantastic, and uh, yeah, I think for love's sake as well. I think you'd also you'd also like being this. It's a musical romance film. It's gonna be all on my list. I don't know right now. I, it really depends what I have access to, and then and then like where I have time to watch it right now, so I, I just don't know. It's always, like, it's all turning into some odd, indecisive <laughs> movie viewing right now. <laughs> I know what you mean. I mean, it's, it's funny when you say that, you know, it's what is available, because I forget that, obviously, in Canada, I assume that Canada's, like, got all got access to more things than we do, uh, being as you guys are on Region 1. Yeah, on one hand, right? And then on the other hand, not really. We have a lot of stuff that's, like, comes out, like a year after on Netflix than everybody else and you know it, yeah. it's a it's a give and take like you might get things that I don't get right away and then I, I might get things like after or earlier or it, it's it's all it's all balanced out it's all a bunch of like especially because I'm in Quebec there's even more like rules and regulations that stop things from 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 getting here and you know I mean just take like one of my my best examples I have is the fact that um, the zombie movie Ravenous was made is a Quebec movie. It's yeah. a French Canadian movie. And it ended up landing on Netflix in the US first and not in Canada. It we got it like a year after. It was because of rules and regulations we couldn't get it right away, I think. So hey, it's just, you know, my backyard. It was filmed in literally my backyard, you know, kind of thing. And we didn't even get we US got it before us, so what can I say? Uh, it, it, it's, it's funny when you like when you start like looking at what the delays of things. I mean, America got Barrel five years after ourselves. Same with uh, All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, and uh, we yeah. got Snowpiercer about the same amount of time after it was released. Um, it just used to constantly amuse my American friends the fact that we had Stu and got Snowpiercer. It had like one showing at the Edinburgh Film Festival and then it was never seen again until Netflix put it over last year. So, so you know, that that's that. You know, Takashi Miike, we can throw it out to the people who are listening to this. What have you seen? You know, have you seen First Love? That sort mm. of stuff. Yeah. What's your favorite Takashi Miike film? Yeah, how many have they checked off out of 104 credits? I don't think anyone's seen all 104. I think... I don't think even Tom Mez has seen all hundred and all hundred and four of them, uh, and he he wrote like the the quintessential book on Mike Attater. Um if, you, if there's anyone you want to really talk about with Mike with, he's the guy. Him that and um, Tsukamoto, he's really keyed upon Tsukamoto. who's another weird out there director. He's uh, 
the one the person responsible for giving us this japanese cyberpunk movement like the tetsuo movies which in turn inspired a whole bunch of american cyberpunk movies based on the japanese style which were just bloody awful um but i mean if you like miki movies i would definitely recommend also checking out the work of uh sion sono he in many ways he picked up where miki left off with his outlaw period and just done increasingly like bizarre works things like suicide club and um why don't you play in hell why don't you play in hell in particular i would think could pair really well with this film Oh well, talking of a pairing, what's your what's some of your uh, further viewing? Um, well, the first of all, the one when I'm, we obviously have the hardware sort of showdown, it made me instantly think of the Equalizer, the Denzel Washington version, because uh, that also has a showdown in the hardware store. Okay, I haven't I seen mean, it. I haven't seen the second one, but the first one's good, and it it kind of works to Denzel Washington's usual role of um, I'm blank role. But also the smartest person in the room, which seems to be all his roles. He's like, oh, I'm a train driver, but I'm the smartest train driver in the world, or I'm a pilot, but the smartest pilot in the <laughs> world is, um, which is a little annoying, but sometimes it works, and the equalizer's uh, one that that works for. Um, in terms of lovers in really less than great situations i'd also recommend checking out true romance uh by tony scott and featuring a script by quentin tarantino um also featuring rosario dawson as the quintessential like uh manic pixie dream girl as um she's um a former call girl um who hooks up with a comic book store worker and um they basically go on a run and end up getting caught up in a huge drug deal shootout which is it's a really fun movie and i mean it's a well it's a romantic movie written by tarantino which really should tell you all you need to know about that one but it also um argued the fact that the first three street fight movies are the best deep movies which and gave us this like impossible fancy for a lot of film junkies where you're in the cinema seeing your triple feature and you have the hot girl spill of popcorn on you and that you form this amazing connection you get to go for pie and coffee and you know many of us are still waiting for that to happen but um in terms of like asian cinema i mean sion sono i would say is a really fantastic director to always pair with Mikay's work um and why don't you play in hell in particular i say is a really great movie to pair with this one it's uh a lot of fun and if you wanted like a hip-hop musical tokyo tribe's also pretty cool as well so nice. so yeah there's uh there's a few picks for you <laughs> but what about yourself kim uh yeah so i mean for me i'm gonna like right away um because this one is led by you know one of our main leads is uh kubota uh who plays leo um and I'm going to pair one of his other 2019 movie, uh, Diner. Which, if it was more available, I would have chosen this movie as a After Hours. We still have time. It might arrive at some time. But yeah, so Kabata in this one actually plays a completely opposite character from Leo, actually. Where he plays, like, di the diner is pretty much like this diner for assassins. And Kabata plays this... Um, assassin who's like just covered in scars and he has like super weird kind of like 
Um, he's like just he just feels very like deadly, like very emo, very deadly, very you know that sort of thing. And he's just downright wild. Like he has these crazy action scenes. Um, so, anyways, that's a really good one to pair with this one as like a as a what's his name? Uh, Masataka Kubota double feature kind of deal. Um, if we go back into you know like Hollywood and such. Um, I thought right away, you know, innocence getting into things over okay. their heads with something like Date Night, uh, 2010's Date Night with Steve Carell and Tina Fey, which is, you know, very comical. Um, I I personally really like the movie. I think it's, like, really downright, yeah. like, over-the-top ridiculous. But it it's so much fun, and it has that kind of, like, you know, getting caught in a situation that you didn't really want to be in. Um but other than that, I mean, if you think about, you know, something like this, which is, like, going on a day of just crazy and being caught up in a situation, I, the first movie that popped into my head was 2015's Mr. Yes. Right. Yes, um, yeah, no, I remember which one you talk about. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the one with, um, and Ferris and, the um, one with, uh, uh, no, 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 with, right. uh, with, with, with Anna Kendrick and Sam Rockwell. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, both of them are, are equally, yeah. like, it has about the same amount of quirk, the same amount of action, and it really, I, I personally find it really fun. I know all these movies in general, if you looked at Rotten Tomatoes, it's it <laughs> Who listens really to Rotten Tomatoes, though? But <laughs> it's the worst site in the world. If you're going to get a proper reaction, go to Letterboxd like normal people. <laughs> don't don't trust Letter- Rotten Tomatoes for, exactly. like, anything. <laughs> So I don't know. I mean, I don't know who, how many people are, are are trust Rotten Tomatoes, but I'm just saying, Rotten Tomatoes, both of these, like Date Night and Mr. Right, has fairly low ratings, and I don't think Diner has any ratings because it didn't really get anywhere. It was still doing the festival route last I checked. So, uh, yeah. So those are my my uh, for the viewing picks. Um, well, that brings us to the end of another edition of Moves and Tea, After Hours edition. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button. And you can also uh, follow us on both Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also uh, check out our blog, which is uh, moviesandteapodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find our complete archive for looking back at our f- all four seasons that we've done to date, as well as our after-hours specials, the Shark shark Weeks, and uh, also other bits of fun writing that we've done as well. Um, so definitely check all that out. Next episode is my pick for the after-hours, and we're going to be looking at the new rising genre which is pastel goth as we check out paradise hills uh so i hope you can join us but until then thank you as always for listening and thank you to my co-host kim and uh we'll be back next time discussing paradise hills but until then good night